Champagne, Illinois native Emily Harrington coming to you from Kitchen Table Studios in the ever-evolving, sometimes boring, flatlands of Champaign-Urbana for the next podcast episode of Hyperlocals, where townies and transplants share their tales of tears and triumphs, losses and wins. So stay tuned to catch the characters behind the beloved Twin Cities of CU. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Hyper Locals podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, maybe my biggest guest to date. Amber Oberheim is here to chat with us and tell us her story. Hi, Amber. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for coming. She's a busy, popular woman and mother of four, which accelerates the busyness, I'm sure. Absolutely. (laughs) So I'm very lucky to have her here after her morning workout on a rainy Friday morning which is maybe appropriate for the subject we're going to talk to. But Amber, I'm just going to ease into this and ask you where you're from and where you're living currently. Sure. So I am born and raised in Monticello, Illinois, and that is where I currently reside. We uh, took a few years out of that area, but um, Monticello is a community that has always embraced uh, me and our family and even more so in this last uh, year. And so we are pretty happy in a small town. Um, sure. Pretty happy. Uh, the schools are great. And uh, the people who live there are pretty amazing people. So it's really become a family for you. Oh, my family. gosh. It's yeah, it is a small town where, you know, everybody knows everybody. Right. But, uh, they have held us up many, many times over the course of the last uh, year. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be there. So that's awesome. I love yeah. Monticello. It's great. So are you a nurse practitioner currently? I am a nurse practitioner at Christie Clinic in Monticello. Okay. I have not gone back to the clinic since May of last year. I intend to do that on a very part-time basis soon. I think it'll be nice to get a little taste of quote unquote normalcy, right? Like I don't really know what that is yet, but I think it'll be good to get back to at least know what to expect in a day every week. Right. (laughs) So you have four daughters with your late husband, Chris Oberheim. Yes. He was a champagne police officer. So tell me what a day in the life was like before May 19th, 2021. Sure. Yeah, before May 19th, 2021, I would describe our days as pretty hectic. Um, You know, I was working full time as a nurse practitioner in the clinic during the day. And Chris was working full time as a champagne police officer at night. And our four kids were very busy, very involved. And so it was a very busy life that was hard to see past sometimes. Okay. And so, you know, for anybody that has a full-time job, both parents working full-time outside of the home, different shifts, Mm -hmm. and then four kids who are involved in a lot of things, you tend to divide and conquer quite often. And so depending upon what was on the schedule after my 
work. We might be practicing softball. We may have a softball game. There may be a school activity. So it was a lot of coming and going Mm -hmm. and a lot of busyness, Mm -hmm. as as you can imagine. Um, I would say we're a pretty typical family, you know, Um, very committed to each other and just working hard and, you know, doing the right thing and doing our best to raise four responsible women, right? Eventually women. Um, And how old are they at this time? Last year? Uh Uh-huh. When Chris uh, passed away, Hannah was 21. Okay, 21. Avery was 18. And the twins were 13. Okay. Oh, you have twins. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Our last two are twins. Wow. Yeah. So you said life was so busy it was more like survival mode, just ships passing in the night kind of thing with all of the events and the schedules. Yeah. I mean, you know, when your kids outnumber you <laughs> two to one <laughs> and they're all busy in their own way, you know, there's always something. Yeah. You know, so if you would look at our calendar, we uh. would keep a shared calendar on our phones and sometimes you wouldn't be able to even get all of one day on your screen, right? You kind of have to scroll to see the bottom of the day. So busy, but, you know, not overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris and I both had our responsibilities outside of home, but always tried, you know, to do things together uh, despite the busyness. Yeah. Um, So really trying to, you know, keep the our family unit doing things together. So softball was a big thing for us. We did a lot of traveling uh, with softball over the course of the last probably three or four years. Yeah. That was big. Yeah. Are you eight to five and then he is nine to six a.m.? So I was working, yes, eight to five. And then he would leave the house about 8.45, nine o'clock to be dressed in on the street by 10. And then he worked 10 to eight and would be home by 8.45, nine o'clock in the morning. Weekends off? He has set days off, had set days off. So um, they work... 10-hour shifts in Champaign. So he, in this last year, ended up with Thursday, Friday, Saturday off, which was an accomplishment because, you know, he had 20 years on and it takes a minute to get weekends. Sure. Yeah, to get weekends off. But that was kind of our our routine. And that's where you'd spend time together and dealing with travel softball. Yes. Yeah. But you made sure to make time for each other, it sounds like. Yeah. And you know that I feel like that's that's always a struggle when you have four kids. But that's something that Chris and I recognized as a very important part of our relationship Mm -hmm. was even just taking a long weekend and going somewhere. Yeah. Just the two of us. Sure. You know, on a day to day basis, when he leaves for work in the evening, did you have fears innately of his safety And when you married a police officer, did you have those fears? Yeah. So Chris was not a police officer when we started dating. Okay. He went to the academy probably about a year and a half into our relationship. And did you try to talk him out of it? Well, not initially. So I guess I worried then, and that was, you know, 21 years ago. Sure. I worried for the first four or five years, and then I kind of fell into a place of maybe being a little bit more complacent with my fears just Mm -hmm. because things seemed okay. Mm -hmm. I would say it was probably in maybe 2012-ish and probably when the incident in Ferguson, Missouri happened and you saw footage of people jumping on top of police cars and retaliating in a way that you hadn't really ever seen before. Mm -hmm. That brought up some concerns 
And then I remember shortly after that, there were five officers who were killed in Texas. Mm-hmm. And they were more or less in their squad cars. I mean, there wasn't any type of you know, interaction with anyone. They were basically snipers and they just shot and killed them. I really started to worry at that point because I said, how do you defend yourself on something that you don't even see coming? Right. People are just targeting officers and just murdering them. And then, you know, that time came to pass. Sure. And so most recently, I don't guess that I had a great deal of concern. And if you knew Chris, I knew that he could handle himself. He Mm -hmm. was very physically fit. If it came to any sort of tussle or, you know, I did, I did, I wasn't concerned about him. He was a great officer. Mm -hmm. He was very tactically sound and very quick. And I just had seen and heard enough over the years that I felt as though he could handle himself. Yes, absolutely. So in the beginning, the community, the nation was safe enough that you didn't have concerns. It started to change. You saw officers being targeted. You got a little more concerned. But as that happened, his competency increased and you thought he could handle himself in any situation. So you kind of could rest knowing that he was going to be okay. Yeah. And I think having an officer, being married to an officer who works night shift, as a spouse, you have to have some degree of confidence and just belief in your spouse Mm -hmm. because staying up at night worrying right all the time isn't healthy and that's not going to serve you or the officer well so yeah I mean at some point in time you just kind of say okay well this is his job and you know he's been doing it for x number of years and Uh, he's good. And really, most recently, it's like, we're getting closer to the end of that. Right. So we've just got a couple of years to go or whatever, you know. Um, Before retirement, you mean? mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What did he do in the beginning when you were dating? I'm just curious. So he was a security officer at Decatur Memorial Hospital. Okay. So same lines, kind of. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So can you tell me what happened on May 19th, 2021? The hard stuff. She's taking a drink, everybody. (laughs) Of water. She's, yes, water. <laughs> She's bracing herself here. Okay, so May 18th was an, an evening like many. Um, Chris had a routine. Uh, no matter where the girls and I were in the house, he would come find us, kiss us on the forehead, and say, love you. Mm-hmm. And we would say, love you, be careful, be safe, something to that effect. Sure. Right? And that was just the routine. And so he did that. And it was just like any other night. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember. I mean, I think I was hanging out on the couch when he gave me a kiss. And uh, the girls were, you know, maybe a couple of them upstairs, one of them downstairs. Um, and he took off and went to work. Um, I went to bed, planning on getting up and going to work in the morning. You know, it was a Wednesday, I believe. And it was about... I'm going to say 4.15-ish or 4.20, something like that, that there was a very aggressive, loud knock on the door. Mm, your and, nightmare. Um, oh, yeah, I've had that, I've had that dream before. Oh. Absolutely. And when I looked out and saw that there was an officer that I recognized on my front porch, I immediately opened the door and I said, if you're here and it's the middle of the night, then something's wrong. What happened? What's going on? Uh, and he said, Amber, Chris has been hurt. Mm. We need to get you to the hospital. He's at the hospital. In Champaign. 
in champagne. Okay. I said, okay, like what's going on? And um, he said, I know he's on his way to the hospital or he's at the hospital. Uh, all I know is that he has a strong radial pulse. Being medical I and knowing that the radial pulse is in your wrist, I said, okay, so what happened? And he said he was shot. Mm. And I said, okay, well, if he's got a strong radial pulse, then he was shot like in the arm or the shoulder or, you know, and he said, Amber, he was shot in the head. Mm. I remember taking a deep breath, feeling very lightheaded. Um, I put my hands on my knees because I, you know, standing upright felt like it was too much. Was like I like I could potentially pass out, which I didn't want to do. (laughs) And um, I said, "Okay, hold on just a second. That's when my brain, I think, started not to work very well. And so I said, "Okay." Um, I need to, like, I need to talk to my girls. I need to figure this out. So I called my dad. I had to call a couple of times, but I got someone. I said, and I told them what was going on. I need them at my house now because I had to leave. Um, I, I woke up Hannah, my oldest, and told her. And I said, I need for you to stay calm because I have to go. And your sisters are going to look to you mm-hmm. for, you know, they're going to react to how you're acting. And then I gathered all of the girls up. I told them dad had been hurt and they said, what happened? And I said, he's been shot, but I don't know much. Well, they're growing up in the world of technology. Sure. And we have a ring doorbell. And so when oh, I left, I heard it all. they pulled it up and listened. I don't think all of them thought about that. I think one of them did. And then it kind of, you know, uh, trickled down, trickled down. And so we still have those videos. They, we oh saved those because I, I think um, at some point in time that might be a valuable thing for officers moving forward to just understand what that moment is like. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. Um, So anyway, uh, I I get out of there. Um, The officer takes me to Carl. This isn't Chris's partner. No. Okay. This is just someone you knew yeah. in the force. Who lived okay. in Mon- right? Who lived in Monticello? Um, and said, "Well, I'm coming anyway, so I should probably just go. Like, we need to expedite getting um, Amber to the hospital." So, I get to Carl. Uh, Chris is in surgery, so we go up to the um, surgery waiting area. There are officers all over that hospital from Decatur, from Champaign. Um, you know, I met some of them in the waiting room at. I was trying to get some information because I went into, you know, medical mm-hmm. provider mode and I was trying to figure out what's the extent of this injury. And so finally I had a trauma resident from the emergency room came up and she said, um, I was with your husband in the ER, um, kind of explained the situation. I said, well, I understand that he has a gunshot wound to his head. Can you tell me where the bullet entered? Mm-hmm. And she did pointed um, to kind of just behind your ear on the right side. And I said, okay, where is the, where is the bullet now on imaging? And she pointed um, to just over her ear on the left side. And Mm. I said, uh, that's a problem. Meaning it went through. Yes. Okay. It was at that point in time that I knew that I would, I wouldn't see my husband the same way. Um, I didn't know you know, what the outcome was going to be, but I knew it wasn't good. I said, this isn't good. And I looked at everybody in the room and I says, this isn't good. 
Did the sight of all the officers there, was that comforting or scary? Oh, no, it's never scary to me. Okay. It's never scary to me to see all of them there. They were there with, you know, love and support, and they were there for Chris, and they were there for me and the rest of, you know, our family. So it didn't take long. I'm Maybe 20 minutes after that, that the neurosurgeon came in and uh, explained that despite their best efforts, that the extent of Chris's injuries was just too great for mm. him to fix. And um, I thanked him. I said, thank you for coming Jeez. in on your night off, you know, or your night on call. Like, thank you for trying. Are you in tears? Or do you feel no. under control? No, I'm not. I'm You're not. like out of body. Oh, yeah. Ugh. 100%. You know, when the neurosurgeon delivered that news, I watched everyone around me feel. And I was not feeling. Mm. I couldn't feel. I was very much like I am now. It was a, a very bizarre experience. So I watched and listened to that happen for a few minutes after the neurosurgeon left the room. Mm -hmm. And I just remember repeatedly saying, I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. This doesn't make sense. Somebody please explain this to me or tell me how I'm supposed to do this because I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I, you know. And then I said, you guys, my brain feels like scrambled eggs. And nobody is engaging with me. Nobody's talking to me. God. Everyone is crying. I finally was like, can someone please say something that makes sense? The, like, I, I, I don't, like, I can't think. I don't, what are we doing? I, this, uh, oh my God. you know what I mean? And, um, and finally somebody said, Amber, I think you need to go talk to your girls. And I said, thank you. That makes sense to me right now. Right. You need some direction. That makes sense. Let's do that. Let's do that. And so Chris's brother, one of them, his brother, Matt, drove me back to my house. I, I told him, I don't know how to do this, Matt. I, how is this supposed to go? I don't, I don't understand this. And I remember thinking, how in the world am I finding myself in the place where I have to go home and break my girl's hearts? Mm. Like, this just doesn't seem right. Like, I was supposed to wake up and go to work and they were going to school. And what, like, mm -hmm. where are we right now? Mm -hmm. So... I got back home by 7.15 that morning. Um, I had already had people texting, like blowing my phone because up. Because it's hit the news? It has hit the news that there was an officer involved shooting. Two officers were shot, one critically wounded, and it was in Champaign. And my, I mean, my phone was just blowing up at that point. Um, so I got home, and I had several family members at the house with the girls. And... Um, I gathered them all back up and uh, and told them that dad wasn't coming back home. Mm. And the next um, 20 minutes was probably the worst 20 minutes of my life. Mm. It's interesting in that moment, you're a grieving wife, but you have to be... A mom. And the reality of that situation is I wasn't, I was numb. Ugh. So I wasn't grieving. I wasn't. I couldn't feel. I couldn't feel. I listened to my girls and everyone that was in our house. Um, that's a sound I will never forget and I never want to hear again. But I 
was floating around in this bubble mm. of numbness. It truly was. I, I didn't feel. I couldn't. So you have not shed a tear at this point? No. Oh, my God. No. Because it was such a shock. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all I can think. I think your brain is a very powerful organ, and mm-hmm. it does things. To protect you, maybe. Yes. And so really, it wasn't until a couple of weeks later, and I said, oh, now I'm starting to feel. Right. I mean, I... I cried and I and I and I felt some, of course, but not like it was nothing like what was coming. Yeah. Right. So. So those next few weeks are robotic procedural steps. I wouldn't really say that. Um, Once I got home and the news kind of started to spread quickly, uh, (sighs) we had so many people show up for us. In so many different ways. And and you wanted that? I asked my girls very early. I said, what feels right to you? Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't want to be alone. Okay. And I said, okay, then that's what we're doing. We're doing whatever you want to do. Right. So if you want people here, they'll be here. If yeah. you don't want people here, I will shoo them out. However you want it. And they were like, we just don't want to be alone. We, we feel better when people are here. Mm-hmm. So people were there. <laughs> <laughs> Casseroles are coming. <laughs> It was, yes, casseroles are coming. Um, and it was just amazing. I mean, I had one of my very best friends became like my kitchen manager. Um, so we had all kinds of food. It was crazy. Um, my sister was a very instrumental person and just organizing things. We had people drop off coolers and ice and drinks and food and paper goods and toilet paper. And, um, and then we had, you know, people that, just showed up for prayer in our front yard. We had a front yard full of people that night um, that just came because they wanted to pray. Mm. But our heroes, our angels that we didn't know existed until they showed up at our house came from COPS, um, which is Concerns of Police Survivors, okay, and the 100 Club of Illinois. And we had representatives that came We went to the basement and they explained, um, we are here for you. We are going to help you get through this. As much as you want us involved, we'll be involved. As much as you don't want us involved, we won't be involved. But we will not leave your side until you tell us to, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, And so they were phenomenal. Helped us plan everything. This is a small group of men. Women? Both, yes. Mm -hmm. Who make it their mission to support families after officers are killed in the line of duty. That's what they do. Those men and women are absolute angels. There's no other way to put it. They sacrifice time with their own families, and they were just present for us. And so it wasn't procedural. We had a very present decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something that happened, and I think it was maybe the afternoon the next day, and there had been some comments made around the girls about being angry and this isn't fair, and I remember sitting them down and saying, listen, I need for you guys to protect your hearts. Mm-hmm. I do not want you to become angry, bitter, 
you know, um, there's no room for negativity. You need to feel all of the love that people are bringing to us Mm -hmm. and figure out how do we internalize that and allow that to fill up our hearts as opposed to letting anything else in. And thank God that I feel like all of us were able to do that for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for the first time in my life, I felt people's prayers. They became Hmm palpable. And I don't know how to describe that. My humanness limits my ability to articulate it in a way that is as profound as the experience actually was. Were you religious before this or this increased your... I would say a very faithful person. Yes. Okay. Have a relationship with God. Yes. Prayerful. Yes. Attended church every Sunday morning? No, I was on a softball field somewhere. (laughs) Right, right. Priorities, (laughs) right. Um, Did this experience change my faith? Absolutely. Hmm. In a way that I felt God's presence next to me, around me, in the room, in a moment where nothing seemed to make sense Mm -hmm. and nothing seemed very clear and everything felt very jumbled. There was one thing that was crystal clear to me. Mm -hmm. And that was, I had to do something to stand up for our law enforcement family. Like it was just a very restless energy that I tried to ignore and I couldn't, I just, I'm like, okay. This is the outcome. This is what I have to do. This is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So that became a focus. Um, Can we talk about the other side? What happened that night as clear as you understand it? As far as like the specifics of the incident? Yes. Yeah. Um, And I'll preface this with I have not watched um, any of the video um, that – is out there from my understanding there was ample video from multiple angles to document um, this whole incident which was pretty cut and dried um meaning the officers have cameras on them yes and it is required that those become public so both chris and jeff Jeff being the partner. Yes. Okay. Had body cams. And then in this particular area with the apartment complex, there were multiple cameras that also caught um, footage from my understanding. So, yes, the body cams, you know, are on. Um, From what I understand, there was a 911 call made um, from an apartment below where you know, there, there was, there was fighting happening. So, and I haven't listened to the 911 call, but what's been communicated to me was that, you know, the call went something like, uh, I need help. Um, there are people upstairs that are fighting. This is, um, something that happens on a routine basis, but tonight sounds really bad. Please come hurry. This doesn't sound good at all. And so Chris and Jeff responded to that call fairly quickly. When they pull up, um, they see a man coming down the stairs from the apartment that the call was made about, and he gets in a car mm-hmm. in the parking lot. And um, Jeff approaches the car and said, you know, hey, man, what's up? Champagne police. 
from that moment until shots were fired by the perpetrator in the car, there was a time lapse of seven and a half seconds. So from my understanding, um, guy was in his car, Chris and Jeff approached, Jeff is in front, Chris is behind. They introduce themselves, ask what's up. He gets out of the car, has a tussle for a few seconds with Jeff, because uh, it's clear that the hands are going on. Um, and he's able to break free, grab his gun and start firing at Jeff and Chris. What I didn't know until at least a week later was that Jeff was hit three times and Chris was hit three times as well. And I think the perpetrator fired nine shots and landed six of them. Chris's gun never left his holster. Mm. So it happened so fast that he didn't even have time to react because if he would have, if he would have seen it coming or had time to react, he would have, I have no doubt. Right. So both Jeff and Chris go down and I don't know the order in which they were hit, uh, but Jeff took two to his ballistic vest and one that went through his right arm, which was his dominant arm. Chris had a shot, I think in the vest, one that kind of grazed his neck and then one um, to the head. And so Chris and Jeff both go down. Jeff sees the perpetrator walk towards Chris and is able to somehow gain the wherewithal to think, I've got to stay in this. And fearing for his life and Chris's, because the perpetrator still had a gun in his hand, Jeff was able to get up and with his left hand, return fire, um, and ended the threat. Meaning the perpetrator was shot? Yes. And killed? Yes. Okay. How come you don't want to watch the videos or 911 call? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is protecting Chris's dignity. I have a very strong conviction Mm -hmm. to protect that I know that Chris would never want anyone to see the way that things went down Um, but I do think that there were people who reserved feelings on the situation one way or the other until they were actually able to see what happened I can understand that to a certain degree but for me and my girls It's just not something that I want to see, Mm -hmm. nor is it something that Chris would want us to see. And I can't imagine that really changing. Um, You mentioned before we got into the actual incident, the one positive that has come out of this is you feel this pull and this need to project cops as heroes and not victimizing the felons any longer. Mm. So tell me that mission moving forward for you. Yeah. There have been several positive things um, that have come out of this life experience, despite the fact that it's tragic and awful, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But the mission to change the narrative around 
police and what they do and the sacrifices that they make was the one that was probably the clearest and loudest and strongest for me. So the girls and I all decided that we had so much to say after the first week that we needed to speak and we wanted to do that at at Chris's funeral. And Mm -hmm. so all five of us wrote speeches. Um, I helped the girls throughout the week um, try to get ready. I had not done much other than just written a little bit about the way that Chris and I had met. And it was 1030 on the night of Chris's visitation. And I finally, I got everybody to bed and I sat down with my laptop in a chair in my living room and I prayed and I just said, God, I, you, you know what I have on my heart and my mind. And I feel like I have so much to say, but I don't know how to articulate that in a way that is going to be received in the way that you want it to be. So give me those words. I opened my laptop, spit out the last two paragraphs of my eulogy for Chris, and then went back and filled everything in. And I was in bed before midnight that night, Mm. which isn't the way that I thought it would go. Mm -hmm. So the morning of Chris's funeral, I wake up and I have, and this is going to sound so weird, and I don't know how (laughs) people listening to this are going to be like, okay, this lady's whack. Um, But I woke up that morning thinking this day is going to be epic. Mm. I feel it. Like I know. And I told the girls, we were all getting ready. We were in the living room. I'm like, you guys, this is going to be an epic day. Mark my words. Like I know that this day is going to be significant. Mm -hmm. How much time has passed? A week. So Chris was shot and killed on May 19th and his funeral was on the 26th. Okay. In the meantime, we had had Avery's um, high school graduation. Oh my gosh. We had her prom. We had a graduation party. And that All week? these things were planned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that weekend, well, the next day, she had her gosh. senior night for softball, which was big for her because she was recruited to play softball in, at Heartland, and that was a big thing for her and Chris. We had um, high school graduation. We had graduation party. And we had prom. This is what amazes me is that all of this sorrow, but you are a mom first and you guys just continue on. You continue to be a mom, even though it would be hard to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, that's Mm. what is like amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And it's the strength of being a mom. It's incredible. I had two things that went through my head and they still do all day, every day. One is the two words, fear not. Hmm. Fear not. I hear that over and over and over. And that comes not from me. The other is be the woman that Chris would want you to be. Mm. And so the woman that Chris would want me to be is not the woman that couldn't get out of bed and do the things for our girls that we had worked really hard already together and had planned. It was following through on our plan. Yeah. It was being present for them, supporting them, giving them whatever it was that they needed in that moment. And so those two things... Fear not and be the woman that Chris would want you to be Mm -hmm. are the things that I replay in my head multiple times a day. Mm. Okay, so we're at the epic funeral day. Yeah. And the day that you decide is going to kind of change the course. Well, I didn't know that. I just had some things that I needed to get off my chest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I had some things that I felt I needed to say. And I knew if I didn't say them, I was going to regret it. Mm -hmm. And the girls felt the same way. And so 
I didn't know how it was going to go. And I, quite frankly, I didn't care. Sure. I just knew that I need, I needed to word vomit on some people, if you will. Like it was just that I had to say these things. I didn't have any expectation or any idea how anybody was going to respond. They could have looked at me like, wow, she's really struggling with this. She's gone a little cuckoo, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have mattered to me. Like I didn't really care. Right. I cared about making sure that those officers knew exactly how loved, respected, appreciated, and valued they were then and they are now. That was very clear to me. So, um, yeah, that day was an epic day. Mm -hmm. That moment, um, listening to my girls who made me so damn proud. I can't even tell you, Aubrey, our youngest, technically by six minutes because, you know, the youngest (laughs) are twins, but she started it off. When she started it off, I was like, yes, we are on task to make a difference today. And that's what we're here for because we knew this life experience was not just about us. Mm-hmm. It was about so much more than that. And I keep saying that. And that that is truly, I told them early on, I'm like, you guys, this isn't about us. Like it is, it's about each one of you and it's about me because it affects us most directly. But this, your dad, his life, what has happened is about so much more than that. Is this where yes. the Peacemaker Project 703 was born? Yes. So tell me what that is. And how people can support it. Yeah. So Peacemaker Project 703 is a God-serving foundation that we created in my husband's honor. People ask, how did that happen? It happened very organically. I did not have this vision of saying like, oh, we're going to create this not-for-profit because I'm medical. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. You know what you're doing. I don't know what this looks like. This is truly just a blind faith moment okay okay, for us and I remember sitting around the living room and I just said like I think the thing that really was impactful was the fact that the Champaign Police Department set up a GoFundMe for us okay okay and I didn't really pay much attention they had suggested it I said that's fine um you know he said somebody's gonna do it and somebody's gonna you know somebody that shouldn't be profiting off of your tragedy is going to do it and then like so just let us take care of this I said that's fine the massive amount of support that came and that was huge. And then I combined that with the fact that I had this unrelenting, super strong desire to help law enforcement. And I said, like, I feel like this isn't about us. So the girls and I collectively decided that we were going to take the money that was that was given to us in the GoFundMe and, and put that into our our nonprofit. So, so we did that, um, because that was the right thing to do. I mean, there was so much generosity. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this, but we need to do something more than just right. This has to live on. Yeah. This this is a bigger deal than just us. Right. So that's how we got it started. Um, we brainstormed a lot about, you know, the name and what made sense and our mission. We were very purposeful about that. So our mission is to proactively support law enforcement officers and their families through community outreach, reform, and education. And we wanted to keep it very broad because we didn't at that time have any real specific 
action items. Sure. We had brainstormed about them, but I'm like, if something comes up, I don't want to go against our mission. If we want to help yeah. this person or that person or this family or that, I'd like to keep it broad so that we can we can do that. And then just pray that God put the right people in our lives to show us which direction we were to go. And that's what's happening now. The 703 mm-hmm. means what? So the 703 was Chris's badge number. Oh, okay. Sweet. So everyone had, you know, all officers have a badge number. And 703, I think I could have told you what his badge number was because it was part of some of his passwords on oh, things sure. at home. But like it wasn't how we identified yeah. him at home. But it is how the community and people around have identified him. And 703 shows up in the most bizarre places. Oh, interesting. In the most bizarre ways. As a little angel. That is God so winks is what we call them. Yeah, little God winks. So, you know, on a particularly hard day, I go to the pharmacy to pick up prescriptions for my daughter, and the teller says, Your total is 703. Oh, and I go, Crazy. <laughs> crazy. Okay. okay. You know, and it's just random things like that. that oh, have I love happened. that. Yeah. So, how does it feel going from a wife of an officer to now a public speaker and an advocate for justice and peace and the support? For the police officers, how does that feel? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Has this changed you? Um, I feel like I've always been an extrovert. Okay. But one that keeps it real. I realize that this mission is not about me. I realize it's not about my girls. Mm -hmm. That is what I try to keep grounded. And I pray daily God, don't let me make this about me because it's not. And you know that and I know that. And, you know, I want to only repeat the words that come from him. Sure. I don't want to get in the way of that. And so, I mean, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, which is what I feel I'm supposed to be doing, then that's what I'm doing. This life experience, has it changed me? Absolutely. Has it given me perspective that I didn't have before? 100%. Has it given me um, a passion and a fire to do something to make a difference and advocate for law enforcement? Absolutely. Am I still the same person I always was? You bet I am. (laughs) You bet I am. How can the public support Peacemaker Project 703? So Peacemaker Project 703 has um, a presence on social media with uh, Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Um, And that's pretty simple. Search Peacemaker Project 703. Okay. We also have a website, www.peacemakerproject703.com. Okay. I would say that there have been multiple, multiple organizations and uh, groups of people within the community who have held their own, you know, idea of fundraisers and things like that, that they end up, you know, donating funds to the project, which has been greatly appreciated. We have a volunteer application on our website. uh, So I think it's maybe under a link that says get involved. Okay. One of the things that's happened um, personally at home is that one of our daughters is not well. Um, She Mm -hmm. hasn't been well for quite some time. And um, she's got, uh, you know, some chronic things that are just holding her back. So the project has been a little bit on hold in that um, we're looking for, you know, volunteer coordinator and really getting the structure of the foundation under just getting that nailed down. But um, 
we will definitely be looking for volunteers and getting that coordinated. We do have a web store, um, so there's all kinds of fun stuff on there. I love seeing Peacemaker Project, you know, gear and apparel out there. It's pretty cool um, to see that. And um, I think the biggest thing is just supporting our law enforcement um, officers. So if there's a time that you run across you know, an officer in a restaurant or uh, the gas station or the grocery store or whatever, just to thank you for what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you feel inclined to buy their coffee or whatever, that's great too. But um, just returning some love and support. Um, And, you know, if law enforcement is somebody that you feel is important to keep around, um, which I think you would be crazy if you thought otherwise, but um, then I would encourage you to use Uh, your voice, because it's powerful. Um, We tend to be part of the silent majority. And um, I think with the turn of events and the way that things have gone, not only in our small community, but across the nation, it's time to take a stand Mm -hmm. um, so that we can get our moral compass pointed back in the right direction and um, really just kind of return a respect to authority. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. I think you are incredible. Incredible mom. Mm, Incredible wife, really. And I'll end with this. We were at the park recently and a police officer came up to my two sons and gave them little police officer Lego. That's amazing. And I thought that is so sweet. So I'm in full support of these protectors, really. Yes. And without law and order, it gets real messy real fast. I agree. Thank you, everyone. And thank you again, Amber. I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. However your podcast host of choice allows, please positively rate, review, comment, and give all the stars. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, and ring that notification bell so you know when the next episode drops. Also, search and follow HyperLocalCU on all social media. If I forgot anything or you need me, visit my website at HyperLocalCU.com. Bye!